MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, April 29th, 2020. Today, Mike Pence sees with his mouth. Trump is sued for blocking stimulus checks to immigrant spouses, arguments in the McGahn on banc hearing, an expert in the president's daily brief, Trump orders meat processing plants to stay open, another adjustment to the death toll modeling, and of course, the good news block and confessions. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody, flying solo today. Jordan is going to send in some information and updates on COVID-19 in the A block. I've got headlines and stuff that's flown under the radar for you in the B block. And then for the C block, I have lined up an interview with the man who wrote the book on the president's daily brief. As you know, yesterday in the Washington Post, a story came out that there were at least a dozen times in the president's, president's daily brief that the intelligence community warned Trump Uh, about coronavirus, and uh, he ignored those warnings. And that was back in mid-January to late January and February. And uh, the the frequency and intensity started picking up as as February happened. And of course, as we know, Trump golfed most of February, held four rallies in March, said that by now we would have zero cases, completely downplayed the virus, and also praised China during that time for their handling of the uh, outbreak. And so A lot of different things going on there, and we're going to speak to David Preece later in the show. used to give the President's Daily Brief and wrote the book about it. Um, President's Book of Secrets is what it's called. He also wrote How to Remove a President. He's a wonderful guy. You're going to really enjoy that, Uh, and I think there's a lot of really interesting insights from him, and that'll be coming up later in the interview. Um, We have a meet and greet either this Friday or Saturday. We put a poll on Patreon for you to tell us whether you prefer Saturdays or Fridays. And you can also tweet at us at Daily Beans or at Muller She Wrote to let us know if you prefer Saturday at 4 Pacific time or Friday at 4 Pacific time. Just let us know which, which day you prefer. We'll pick that day. Usually a couple hours beforehand, we send out the link. The theme this week is tiki or tropical or Hawaii or whatever. And you can either... Express that theme through what you're wearing. Maybe you've got some tropical day jammies. Um, I have so much tiki shit. It's ridiculous. I'm a mid-century modern tiki oasis freak. So I'm covered. And uh, you could, Or you can make your drink tropical, whether you're drinking an alcoholic beverage or a non-alcoholic beverage. Uh, you can have a, a tro- tropical drink. I think I've got some paper umbrellas somewhere around here or some little plastic mermaids. I probably fancy up anything. Um, probably just have... <laughs> <laughs> a white claw and put a put a put a pink uh, tropical umbrella in it and voila I have a tropical drink. So, uh, but I do have some tiki mugs. Probably just probably better to pour it in there. A little more creative. So that's what's happening this week. Um, and again, like I said, we'll send a link out to that to patrons uh, a couple hours before it happens. And again, thanks to Weedis for joining us to play songs for us live uh, on the last meet and greet. And if you haven't seen it, it's up on Patreon and you can see us all playing and singing and it's wonderful. So I don't know. These are the things I look forward to. And so uh, I appreciate you all being there. We get, we get hundreds of people on those things. It's amazing. And, and uh, it reminds me of, you know, when we were out and we were able to do live shows and we could all go and, and pack a theater with 400 people and, 
and uh, have a good time. And uh, we can't do that anymore. Uh, although when, when all this is over, and I don't have any idea when that's going to be for an event like that, we do want to go back out on the road. Um, and hopefully our uh, Paycheck Protection Program application will go, th- go through so that we can sort of stay afloat between now and then. Um, anyway, th- those are the housekeeping notes. There, This is a news show. I'm sorry, I sort of got off track. We do have a lot of news. And uh, for, first, we're going we're gonna to bring Jordan up with the hot notes. Hot notes. Hello and welcome to Jordan's Corn Beans. Uh, this is for Wednesday, April 29th. I've got a few stories to cover. A lot of the stories now are starting to, you know, trend around this idea of reopening and what that's going to look like. I know I talked about it extensively yesterday in terms of what specific states are doing, and I'm probably just going to continue covering a lot of that stuff because uh, that's what people are talking about and starting to do right now and it's like i said something to watch very closely uh first though before i get into some of that talk i wanted to talk about there's a main model that's been being used to sort of estimate the impact of covid19 and it's the model that a lot of people have been looking at to anticipate how many people are going to die from covid19 and it was revised this week to state the number that's expected uh, for us to hit by August 4th now sits at 74,073, which is an increase from 65,976 deaths by August, which was projected back on April 21st. So that number has gone up, obviously, and this is after a course of it going down and then it went up for a little bit and and it's kind of it's bouncing around a little bit but the reason why it's it's bouncing around is because it's based off of assumptions centered around things like how well are people adhering to the social distancing how can we anticipate that to uh continue among other things according to CNN the models based on data like i said that's constantly being fed and will change the change what that data looks like The model also assumes, quote, current social distancing assumed until infections minimized and containment implemented, end quote. So that's that official language. Uh, The U.S. death toll so so far, it is over 56,700. So that's not too far off from these numbers that are projected. So the assumption there is that we're going to be able to keep the numbers down and keep the curve flattened where it has been flattened and... The hope is that as we start to reopen and see the reopening phases being implemented, it's not going to be something that's going to cause a huge second wave and spike in those numbers, but I think that model is something to keep an eye on. Um, Gregory Roth, he's one of the senior faculty at the University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. He told CNN, Quote, so the model is always forecasting based on the assumption that the states are all going to line up behind a broad, aggressive social distancing policy. However, we certainly account for the fact that some states have implemented that much earlier than others. Uh, and I think uh, Fauci Fauci said to CNN some things that that's noteworthy as well. He said, uh, so we haven't seen a relaxing of social distancing in any parts of the United States Yet, in the future, if social distancing was relaxed, we would be concerned that there would be a rise again 
in those number of cases. In fact, one of the most important features of social distancing is that we maintain it long enough to avoid recurrent spikes in the disease. We know that even when cases and deaths are declining in some locations, there is still circulating virus. So really the moral of the story is here that the projections of deaths and cases are going to continue to be affected by the effectiveness of social distancing and the maintenance of that throughout the country. So please um, follow what the scientists are saying. And I, I know it's really hard to be patient, but everybody's in this together. And I think there is a reality that exists in which we are not filled with constant dread and fear, which um, was, you know, the case very much so, especially during the, the peak times. Um, but I think there's a possibility to not live in that constant state of stress and fear, but also not dismissing the advice of scientists that we truly need to follow or else we're going to see a second wave hit and we're going to be right back to where we were when the reality was that we were in the worst place we've ever been in when it comes to a pandemic during our lifetimes. I think that's a hard line for people to ride in their brain, which is understandable because on one hand, you don't want to live in fear constantly. You don't want to feel isolated all the time. You don't want to feel like this is never going to end. So whenever you see a glimmer of hope that things might be ending soon, people you know, are naturally tending to run towards that outcome and I don't think either they're not thinking it through or they don't believe that by them running to that outcome, it's going to cause huge steps back in terms of the progress that we've made. Uh, next, we got a story coming out of California. Gavin Newsom said on Tuesday today that the next academic year for schools could start as early as the end of July or beginning of August though there's likely going to be some modifications. He said that he's making that announcement with, quote, cautious optimism, and he's doing so as the state is looking towards easing our stay-at-home orders within the next few weeks instead of months. So this is a change of tune. He's talking about easing these restrictions in the next few weeks. Uh, he previously said that schools may launch, but with st things like staggered start times. It, this is for the purpose of limiting the number of students in school at one time, and they're going to make changes to recess, lunch, and other normal school gatherings that typically would result in a bunch of kids being in the same place at once. So that's going to be very interesting to see how that goes. Uh, he announced a four-phase plan for California, and just to go into some details about what those stages look like, stage one will look like well, it's what we're in right now. Everyone's either staying at home or they're a member of the essential workforce. And we'll stay in that stage until there's a modification to the statewide stay-at-home order, which is what Newsom is now saying we may see within the next few weeks. Stage two would include reopening lower-risk workplaces, including non-essential manufacturing, that's like toys, furniture, clothing, etc., schools, childcare facilities, retail businesses for curbside pickup, and offices where working remotely isn't possible, uh, but can be modified to make the environment safer for employees. Stage three would include reopening higher-risk workplaces, which require close proximity to other people, including hair salons, nail salons, gyms, movie theaters, sporting events without live audiences, and in-person religious services, churches, and weddings. And the final stage, stage four, would be ending the stay-at-home order, which would allow for the reopening of concert venues, convention centers, and sporting events with live audiences. 
So obviously there are no timelines attached to all those stages because each stage is dependent on the one before it and how that goes. Every time they enter into some sort of new stage or even a part of a new stage, they're going to be monitoring the data. He made it very clear, too, that he uh, he said, I want to caution everybody, if we pull back too quickly and we walk away from our incredible commitment to not only bend this curve, but to stop the spread and suppress the spread of this virus, it could start a second wave that could be even more damaging than the first and undo all of the good work and progress that you've made. The virus has not gone away. Its violence is still as acute. Acute. <laughs> um, wasn't ready for pronouncing that word. Its violence is virulence i feel like i don't know words lately i don't know how to say that virulence good word it still is acute its ability to be transmitted still is dominant we by no stretch are out of the woods he goes on to say politics will not drive our decision making protest won't drive our decision making political pressure will not drive our decision making the science the data public health will drive our decision making and on the topic of people running towards that light hole uh, when they're starting to see opportunities of getting out of the house the governor referenced images that showed thousands of people at orange county beaches that i was talking about yesterday saying that they are an example of what not to see and what not to do during the coronavirus pandemic so please keep that in mind the beaches, Newsom said, just because it's sunny outside and it feels like a beautiful weekend, the virus does not take breaks, and I need you all to keep complying as much as you can, please. And if you're going to those places, uh, you really need to be maintaining social distancing. And they also apparently are going to start reevaluating if they need to reclose the beaches if people continue to flock to them in the ways that they're doing right now that aren't maintaining that social distancing. Moving on to Massachusetts, we got some news, and, Cal and New York, actually. They both announced um, essentially the same thing today, but they they each appointed advisory boards uh, that are going to exist for the purpose of figuring out the best way to reopen their states. In Massachusetts, Governor Charlie Baker appointed a 17-member advisory board consisting of business executives, public health officials, and municipal leaders to guide his administration with strategies for reopening. And then New York's group is also a similar makeup of people, uh, people from all those different walks of life that are going to help Cuomo and his team. Uh, they, he, in Massachusetts, he's seeking that they give him input as to, uh, basically, they want, he wants them to generate a report uh, that's going to give them the rundown, how they see it, of how they think all these things should happen and what consequences and rewards he can expect to see. And he asked for that by May 18th. Um, that's also going to include Department of Public Health approved workplace safety standards, industry protocols, and enforcement mechanisms. So that's some New York coming, or some New York, that's some news coming out of New York, Massachusetts, and California. Uh, onto some other general state news. There's a new study out by Harvard that's saying 31 states are not testing enough to reopen in a safe way currently. So that's just continuing the trend of us needing to have adequate testing, improved testing, especially in communities that are hit harder by COVID 19. With all that being said, uh, Cuomo did have a press conference today, 
and he ended with some uplifting words as he always does so i wanted to go ahead and play that for you all to close out corn beans let's listen to it uh and we will learn from this and we'll be better from this because we are new york tough and tough means not just tough because tough is easy it's smart and it's disciplined and it's unified and it's loving and that's who we are and that's what we are and that's why we got through this as well as we have thus far together because of our values because of our respect our dignity our mutuality our love for one another are willing to sacrifice and because we're fortunate where we have many many heroes in our midst not because they have medals on their uniforms but because they have honor in their souls and they have strength in their character and they have dignity and pride in themselves and because they show up every day, every day, to make sure everyone is protected. And they have to be at the top of the list. They're going to be at the top of the list in the next iteration of whatever this is. They're going to be at the top of the list at the Golden Gate. Uh, but they deserve our respect and protection here, and they're going to get it. All right, everybody, stay strong. Um, thank you for being strong for each other and us, and we love all the love that you're sending us on, on Twitter and Facebook and, and everywhere we see it and we read it and we can't respond to everything all the time. I wish that we could try to do our best, uh, but we see it and we, and we really, really love you all. Thank you. Uh, final thoughts. Personal note for me, I disagree. Uh, the podcast I have with my co-host, Steve Schustick. We got a new episode coming out today if you're listening on Wednesday and it's one of my, it is probably my favorite episode we've recorded so far and embodies everything that I've wanted us to do on that podcast. So please check it out. We talk about uh, call-out culture, people being white knights, you know, uh, the concept of white guilt, white savior complex and it's a, it's a really good conversation and it's also incredibly funny. We are joined by our friend Armando Torres. So please check out I Disagree on iTunes and anywhere you get your podcasts or Apple Podcasts, uh, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And I appreciate it very much. I appreciate you all. Thank you for listening and we'll see you tomorrow. All right, Jordan. Thanks again for bringing us those important updates. I, I just can't. That whole modeling thing, you know, where they changed it, it's been changed a few times and models change. They're supposed to do that. There's Once the variables change, you want to change the model. And, um, you know, it started at 100,000, went to 80,000, went to 60,000, went to 66,000. Now it's at 74,000. If they keep reopening, I think it could go higher. Um, today they had somebody on um, who, who works on that model and asking them, this only goes to August 4th, what happens in the fall? And they said there's no model yet for the fall. The key here is how much of the seasonal affect there, you know, there will be. We don't know. Um, there are some su suggestions that we will see some reduction in the summer. And there's a real risk of resurgence in the fall. But there are so many variables, including immunity, resurgence, testing, lack of testing. So they're working on a long-term model. They're, they just really have to uh, drill down on those variables, and, and they should be coming out with that soon. So anyway, thanks again, Jordan, for bringing us those updates. We'll be right back with more news with swearing. Is it angry AG today or happy AG?
We'll find out after this break. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Caliper. Countless products promise to promote wellness. There's drastic diets, extreme fitness routines, over-the-top supplement regimens. The list never ends. But who says taking care of yourself needs to be so difficult? Caliper believes that everyone deserves to feel better naturally, and drastic changes should not be required. That's why they made a more precise and reliable CBD product that's easier to take than CBD oil. Caliper CBD uh, is the first to provide consistent, convenient, and precise CBD in a water-soluble powder. So unlike CBD oils, Caliper CBD powder is totally tasteless. So you don't, you know, you get all the benefits of CBD in the dissolvable powder that mixes easily in food or your smoothies or your coffee. So you can feel better naturally without upending your lifestyle. I love that Caliper CBD comes in convenient pre-measured packets too. So I don't have to guess what I'm ingesting. Uh, I can just add it to my daily routine in my, and I just do it in my morning coffee. And I like that it doesn't have any weird grassy flavors. And best of all, Caliper CBD really helps with my stress, helps me feel calm. I'm less achy. And it helps me snooze. So all um, your body, by the way, also absorbs caliper more rapidly than with oils because caliper gives you all the benefits of CBD in just 15 minutes, which is twice as fast as CBD oil. And it's clinically proven that your body absorbs 450% more CBD with caliper compared to tinctures. Caliper is made with all natural non-GMO ingredients, no fillers, no chemicals, no artificial flavors, and it comes in affordable 10 and 30 count packs you can get started for under 20 bucks. Get 20% off your first order when you use promo code AG at trycaliper.com slash dailybeans. Caliper is so sure you'll love the product. They offer a 30-day money-back guarantee. So trycaliper.com slash dailybeans. And don't forget to use promo code dailybeans for 20% off your first order. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back. So aging Kendall, Mike Pence, visited the Mayo Clinic today and didn't wear a mask, despite the Mayo Clinic telling him it is their policy, everyone wear a mask. Uh, Mayo tweeted that uh, they have a policy that everyone wear a mask, and they wanted to let everyone know. They told the vice president that uh, that's their policy, but then they deleted the tweet. So that was weird. And then when asked about it, Pence said he, he you know, he's been tested weekly, test, he gets tests all the time. He doesn't have COVID-19 and he really wanted to look our great and brave healthcare workers and patients in the eye. It's a mask, Mike. It's not a blindfold. Mike Pence sees with his mouth, I guess. Like, hey, hey, my eyes are down here. My eyes are down here. I, I, I know what's going on here. You know what's going on here. The mask makes them look weak. They don't want to project that Republicans need to wear masks because the Dems are snowflakes and they wanted to stay locked down for too long and ruin the economy f falsely and they've inflated death numbers. It's just, it's obvious what's happening here. And uh, Pence, of course, is um, too subservient. Maybe he should wear a gimp mask. And Trump said today, that any state requiring any relief for COVID-19 will have to end sanctuary city policies and turn those residents over to ICE. So here's another quid pro quo for you. He's basically saying, uh, oh, yeah, we're going to look at this, uh, uh, in this next stimulus package. If your state wants money to help with your budget shortfalls and you know how we're going to make you fucking come up with your own testing programs and we're not helping with that either or PPE since we're intercepting that all and FEMA's intercepting that all even from the VA by the way since uh, since all that you know uh, if you want this relief money that you desperately need to not have people die in your state 
you're going to have to lift your sanctuary city policies or you get nothing. That is what he's proposing goes into a condition in the next stimulus package for money for the states. So quid pro quo much. And uh, New York has canceled its presidential primary election due to COVID-19. It was scheduled for June 23rd, but the Democratic members of the State Board of Elections voted Monday to nix the primary. But they will still hold their congressional and state-level primaries by mail on that day. The idea here is to reduce turnout, which would in turn reduce polling places, which in turn would reduce the spread of coronavirus. Neither Cuomo nor the state's Democratic Party made this call because there's a new provision in a recently passed state budget that allows New York, the New York Board of Elections, to remove the names of any candidates who have suspended or terminated their campaign from the ballot. So that's what they've done here. They removed Senator Sanders' name from the ballot, effectively canceling the primary. Sanders suspended his campaign and uh, had asked New York not to cancel, but they have. But Ohio is voting today with no in-person voting. Uh, They're voting entirely by mail, except for some super early voting that happened a while back. Biden is likely to win the presidential primary, but there are congressional races that could be close. And we might not have results for those close House races for a while because folks had until today to drop their ballot. It had to be postmarked by today. And I think the cutoff date is the 8th of May is the deadline. So we'll have more information on you maybe tomorrow. I don't know. Not on you on that for you (laughs) more tomorrow maybe if we've got results uh in 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 any case we'll keep you posted and a couple of weeks ago or maybe a couple of days ago i really have no idea we told you uh, about spouses of immigrants without social security numbers being blocked from receiving stimulus checks and it was just a matter of time put beans on it but john doe in illinois has filed a lawsuit alleging the ban violates the constitution and is a form of discrimination based solely on whom he chose to marry. I have beans on John Doe winning this case. Um, They call it cruel. Um, It's unconstitutional. It's discriminatory. So we'll see how that how the law applies, how the Constitution applies and 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 what comes out of that. Um, But this is uh, a case out of Illinois. So wonder if it'll go to Supreme Court. We'll find out. And from the Washington Post, a Federal Reserve program is expected to begin within weeks that will provide hundreds of billions of dollars in emergency aid to large American corporations without requiring these corporations to keep jobs or keep a certain number of employees, or they don't have to limit payments to executives or shareholders. Under this program, the central bank will buy up to about $500 billion in bonds issued by large companies. The companies will use the influx of cash as a financial lifeline, but will be required to pay 30% of it back with interest. And unlike the small business loans for us regular folk, this money is exempt from rules passed by Congress requiring recipients to limit dividends, executive compensation, and they can buy back stock if they want. And it does not direct the companies to keep employees at all. Democrats asked for these restrictions before you go there, but Republicans wouldn't budge. What the Democrats did get Uh, was transparency. They got transparency requirements on the big businesses. That is not required on the small businesses. That was the trade. So if you're wondering why the stock market seems to not reflect the total destruction of the economy right now, it's because the feds and the central bank and big businesses will be fine. We will see how what I consider to be an impending housing crisis, unemployment rates, and a shit GDP impact that. I think the market is being falsely propped up right now at this point, relying on the goodwill of corporations to not participate in stock buybacks. That's funny. 
Uh, and Arizona GOP chair Kelly Ward, a doctor, by the way, a primary fucking care physician, tweeted Friday that people participating in protests to end the government-imposed closures of regular business should wear scrubs and masks. And that tweet came a few days after she questioned the authenticity of a small group of healthcare workers in Colorado who counter-protested against people calling for the state to reopen. She said, even if these spontaneously appearing people at protests against government overreach are involved in health care, when they appear at rallies, they were actors playing parts. So she's a total fuckface. And I can't wait for Arizona to turn totally blue in November. Governor, senator, senator, representatives. I, I donate to Mark Kelly if, you, if you're able. We got to get Martha McSally out of there and we just have to fucking embarrass the shit out of Arizona Republicans. And Trump has signed an executive order using the Defense Production Act, which we've been dying for him to use, literally, to get personal protective equipment. But he signed it to order meat processing plants to stay open to prevent food shortages in the U.S. Does the executive order include extra hazard pay for the frontline workers, guaranteed PPE for them, guaranteed testing, paid sick leave, child care? Nah. Totally cool, though considering the major hotspots and spikes are at meat processing plants. Apparently eating meat has now been designated as critical infrastructure in America, so critical that bringing you processed meat foods is worth American lives. And when asked today about when he said, you know, we would be down to zero cases by now, and we just passed a million, Trump answered, well, we will be down to zero eventually. On a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everyone drops to zero. Yeah, Trump never struck me as a Tyler Durden type, especially in the AB region, the Abel region. Uh, but Trump followed that answer up by saying, the experts got it wrong, a lot of people got it wrong. Um, but he would not admit that he, in fact, got it wrong. And some under-the-radar news. Early, early this morning was the incredibly long and super exciting on bonk hearing in the McGann subpoena case. This is basically, if you remember, the they, two committees subpoenaed McGahn uh, under the auspices of Article One impeachment power a long time ago. And uh, the, the president sued the Department of Justice. They said no. And uh, then they said we need we need the courts to decide if the subpoena is valid. And so that went up through the D.C. court. They decided it was. Then that went up to the appellate court. Uh, the appellate court said, nah, it's not justiciable. We're going to dismiss it. And uh, then the House said, well, we want to rehear this on bonk in front of the entire panel of judges in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal. That was granted, and that argument was today. It is going to be very clear which way this decision goes. They're going to overturn the uh, D.C. appellate court's three-judge panel decision uh, to dismiss the case on justiciable grounds. Um, and because <laughs> one of the judges asked Mubar, and who, who, the, that's the DOJ counsel, uh, trying to argue in, on behalf of the president uh, that McGahn shouldn't have to testify because of this crazy blanket immunity. Uh, and, and the judge said, hey, buddy, so what you're saying is your defense here is that these types of things shouldn't be handled by the court. They should be handled by Congress, either through 
uh, not appointing the president's appointees or by controlling the purse or by impeachment. Uh, correct, yeah? And Mubar's like, yep, that's what we're saying. This should be handled by impeachment. Yes, indeedy. And the judge went, that's so cool. How do you expect Congress to conduct an impeachment inquiry if they are unable to execute subpoenas for evidence in an impeachment inquiry? And Mubar was like, uh, I don't know, and danced around the question and said something about jurisprudence or jurisdictional shit. Just a bunch of bullshit. So these uh, judges were not having it uh, at all. Um, so I'm pretty sure I know the way. I don't know, all my, all my beans on um, this case being undismissed. I don't know. That's not really a, a legal term. But by saying that the House is it's going to go in favor of the House. And then, of course, we know the administration and Department of Justice will file a writ of cert to the SCOTUS and ask for a stay, et cetera, et cetera. We've, we've seen that. We're seeing it now in, the, uh, in all the other cases that are happening. So that's what's going on with that. Um, on Bonk McGon. Uh, what does that remind me of? Oshkosh Bagosh. Now we're going to call that the Oshkosh Bagosh case. Well, anyway, we'll be right back with an interview with David Priest. That's the guy who I said wrote the book on the President's Daily Brief. He's going to be commenting on yesterday's story from the Washington Post. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. This portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. If you're like me and you're looking to reduce unnecessary trips and trying to avoid sold-out grocery stores, I recommend you check out Sunbasket. It is a perfect and delicious solution for the times we're living in. Sunbasket is the ideal solution for quarantine life because they deliver healthy, delicious meals straight to your door. Sunbasket also has delicious recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. And they make it easy and convenient, with everything pre-portioned and ready to prep and cook. You can enjoy a dinner full of organic produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. Each week, Sunbasket offers a wide range of recipes to choose from, so you can try mouth-watering dishes such as uh, they've got Hoisin steak strip lettuce cups with pickled daikon and carrots, uh, roasted salmon with miso-glazed eggplant, and uh, black bean tostadas, which are my favorite. Uh, they're, they're, they're called black bean tostadas Diablo because the devil is in them with cabbage slaw and guacamole on top. So good. And you can order uh, from any recipes across their menu. Skip a week whenever you need to. Snooze it or even double up on your favorite recipes. It's simple and easy to do with gotchas. And Sunbasket facilities have the highest levels of food and employee safety. They are reinforcing strict adherence to their existing standard operating procedures and increasing sanitization frequency in their distribution centers in order to protect you and your family. And right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you order right now. Go to sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout for $35 off your order. Again, sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining me today is Chief Operating Officer of Lawfare Blog and former CIA, Duke PhD, writes books about presidents and intel and national security, former NBC contributor. Well, I, I suppose if we weren't going through this right now, you would still be an MSNBC contributor on the regular. Uh, please welcome David Priest to the show. Hello. Good to be back. How are you? How are you doing? I'm, 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 I'm doing okay. And I, I contributed to MSNBC and CNN and other networks. Never never signed on as an analyst with any of them because I had the ability to go to wherever the case was. And um, still even now, as issues like this one come up, I'll be back on MSNBC 
to to talk about it. But uh, yeah, you're right. The last few months, it's been amazing. The shift from every network has to have 17 federal prosecutors, even when the issues at stake aren't about things that are federally prosecuted. Mm. Um, but in place of even political analysts or, or historians, they were going to federal prosecutors on impeachment, which is which is quite odd. But even they have been replaced now. And now it's it's all doctors all the time, except when news gets over the threshold. And wow, did news just get over the threshold when it comes to intelligence issues? It really did. And uh, it, it it's interesting because I had several long conversations with uh, Lincoln's Bible and Greg Oliar over the weekend about the, you know, when does the secrecy of the intelligence community become a liability uh, as opposed to an asset? And, and what's the tipping point? And so it's just all it's all a very interesting thing. But uh, what I wanted to talk to you about today. First, I just want to go back to um, the 9-11 Commission, because this is relevant here. And I know that you have a lot of um, experience with this. But there was, there's something called the Presidential Daily Brief, Presidential Daily Brief, or PDB. And back when the 9-11 Commission was formed, not to investigate wrongdoing by the administration, it was just to put together what happened and how we can prevent that from happening in the future by learning about the facts uh, of the past. And and in that, during that commission, Bush, the Bush administration was, they had to hand over um, some of the PDBs from the month leading up to 9-11 to, so that everyone had the information necessary to determine what went wrong. And of course, out of that commission was born the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, which is now... Uh, some person who has zero intel uh, experience uh, installed by Trump named Rick Grinnell, who's just a total douchebag, but that's beside the point. But yesterday, as we know, the Washington Post dropped, could we, talk, we talked a little bit about this on yesterday's uh, Daily Beans, but the Washington Post dropped a, an immense story that there were at least a dozen PDBs for Trump that included information about COVID-19 in, in January and February. But before we talk about that, you're an expert on the PDB, and I was hoping you could give us a little overview about what that is and what it entails. Sure. Just to give you some foundation for that, a few years ago now, I decided, you know what, this is a story that needs to be told because it hadn't been told. People knew that there was something called the President's Daily Brief, and it had popped into public perceptions now and then over the previous couple of decades, but it was a very, very secretive document given only to the president and a few others that contained the most secret daily intelligence information there was to help protect national security and highlight opportunities overseas. And I had delivered the president's daily brief back when I was at CIA. My daily customers were a guy named Bob Mueller at the FBI and John Ashcroft, the attorney general, as well as on occasion at the White House to the national security advisor and her deputy. But when I left that job and I ended up leaving the CIA, I looked back and realized there there is a lot of information out there. And we always treated it as super secret. And the content is. But the very stories of how it's delivered and to whom and how is it played out under different personalities is a legit topic. So I started interviewing, you know, I started interviewing former presidents, former vice presidents, CIA directors, national security advisors, and with very few exceptions, they all wanted to talk about it. And I ended up getting a lot of material for the book I wrote called The President's Book of Secrets, which tells the history of the PDB. Now, in that book, one thing I did look at is what you started with, which is the 9-11 Commission. 
because no congressional commission had ever been allowed to look at the crown jewels, the president's daily brief before. Mm. And it was really hard to get them because the White House was protecting them. Now, the funny thing is the Bush White House was not really protecting its own PDBs much because by the summer of 2001, Bush had only been in office for a few months. They were overwhelmingly protecting the PDB articles that had gone to Bill Clinton and to Al Gore before that arrived because the 9-11 Commission looked at a whole lot more of the intelligence that went to the Clintons leading up to 9-11 than to the Bushes in the few months before it. Mm. So the, the principle was these are the absolute pinnacle of executive privilege, the top secret intelligence going to the president on a daily basis. It doesn't get more sensitive than that. And they fought it and they said, we need to protect this. But they forgot about one thing, which is with the 9-11 Commission, the families of the victims were playing a role. And they started going public, saying this will not be a complete investigation unless the commission finds a way to look at the PDBs. And so eventually they did get a chance to look at the PDBs. And they ended up printing two of them mostly in full with a very few redactions in the 9-11 Commission report. One that went to Bill Clinton that warned about the dynamics and then one from a month before September 11th that went to George W. Bush that talked about the history of bin Laden's interest in striking in the U.S. Neither one had information directly related to the 9-11 attacks. But it was the first time that people had a real window into the PDB. Now, the PDB is in the news now because Trump, according to sources, appears not to be reading it, which I don't think is much of a surprise to people who have been tracking this for a while. And he doesn't seem to have much patience, as they put it, for even the oral briefings of the intelligence. Right. They said he only takes those two or three times a week and he gets real fussy about it, too, like trying to feed a baby strained peas. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what is going on there. And maybe we won't for some time because that's the kind of dynamic that normally doesn't come out for a while. But I tell you what. It's it's both stranger than it sounds and completely normal. It's completely normal in that no president loves the intelligence they get all the time because most of the time the job of intelligence is to tell the president what they need to know, not what they want to know. And no president who has invested a lot of political capital, a lot of time with foreign leaders trying to pursue a foreign policy loves getting an intelligence document that says yeah, your policy ain't going to happen for this reason, this reason, and this reason. Here's the objective truth on the ground, and it's just not matching up with what you're saying. I don't think any president likes that, and yet every president gets that because the world doesn't operate the way that every president wants it to. Right. Or if you if you decide A, it kills 12 people. And if you decide B, it kills 19 people. And if you decide C, it kills 10,000 people. And like, no matter what decision you make here, some people are going to die. And yeah, I, I can see that you don't want to hear that at breakfast. But yeah, like... and that's true. That's true of every president. The, uh, our, the example that came out the most before now was really Lyndon Johnson in Vietnam, because there was a steady drumbeat of intelligence reports pointing out the situation on the ground in Vietnam, which did not appear to be getting better with tens of thousands of U.S. soldiers dying. So that was the example back then just to show that presidents get intelligence. It helps inform their decisions. Some of them, in fact, most of them really appreciate it, whether they digest it by reading it primarily or by hearing oral briefings. But none of them love it all the time. So that's where this story fits in on that side, which is Trump is like any other human being in that they don't like getting bad news. 
Now, why is it more shocking? Well, it's more shocking because we have yet to have a president who appeared not to want to get intelligence information as a general rule. Now, he keeps getting these briefings, but according to the reporting, he's not loving it. He's pushing back on them. I wonder just how much they're trying to get across in any one briefing, if they're sticking to just one or two quick topics, answering a few questions and trying to get out of there before they hit a brick wall, or whether they're actually briefing everything. And that's why he's rolling his eyes because his attention span clearly, he doesn't want to hear about 37 different things all around the world in each day. We don't know about that detail, but every president up till now who has received personally tailored intelligence has either read it voraciously been briefed on it or had others around him who got briefed on it extensively and then talked about it with him. Trump would be the first one who appears to not really want or like any of those methods. Yeah. And then, you know, you have to ask yourself in this particular instance, why wouldn't Trump want bad news about China? And why wouldn't Trump want bad news about uh, an epidemic that could cost trillions and kill hundreds of thousands? And the second answer is obvious. That sucks. And the economy is the only thing you have to get reelected. But when you're Trump, and of course, I'm just uh, postulating here, but he cares more about getting reelected uh, than than pretty much anything else. It's his it's his ticket out of being prosecuted so he can, you know, run out the statute of limitations on some of these federal crimes. Of course, he can't be pardoned for state crimes uh, or et cetera. But, but, you know, he doesn't want to hear the economy is going to tank. And that's why he almost fired Dr. Massonier when she came out and said, the economy is going to tank. We need to do this is serious. You know, she did that before he he was ill prepared for her to make those public statements, which, which indicates he knew, but why doesn't he want anything bad uh, news about China? And of course, why did he say 15 times and tweet 25 times that China was doing a great job? It's, you know, it could be because he owes uh, billion, millions, tens of millions of dollars to the Bank of China, and that, that debt is coming due if he's reelected sometime in the middle of his next term. It could be, uh, and of course, the Bank of China is who he criticized Biden for his, Biden's kid for shady deals for or whatever, same bank. Um, and that's why Senator Tammy Duckworth wrote a letter to the subcommittee overseeing the COVID-19 response saying, hey, we need to find out why he shipped 18 tons of PPE to China, why he praised China, and he owes millions of dollars to the Bank of China. And now all of a sudden this flip-flop on China. I mean, I can understand why he just wanted to stick his fingers in his ears and say, no, la, 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 can't say anything bad about China, blah, la, la. Yeah, there's a lot open for investigation there, and I I totally support the calls for a 9-11 Commission-style investigation after this is over. Hard, It's going to be hard not to have it to point fingers and try to assign blame, but simply to understand what was the government response, what did it know, when did it know it, how was that information distributed through the government, even that would be helpful, even if it isn't uh, a blame game. But I tell you, I'm I'm not sure I disagree with your assessment of of his motives there. But that, that's a very strategic level thinking of his primary means. His primary goal is to get elected, and the primary means to get there is the economy doing well. So he doesn't want to hear things bad about the economy. That may all be true, but I think psychologically it's much simpler. Is I don't think his his core psychological goal is to get reelected. I think it's adulation and uh, confirmation and some kind of validation that. 
yes, I'm good. People love it. That's why he goes to rallies and loves the cheering. That's why he can't stop going to briefings and hearing himself talk. Ah, I'm giving him too much credit. He he mostly just is afraid of being uh, being disliked uh, in the face of this. And that may be why we we've seen the stories in previous years about White House aides, not intelligence officials in this case, but political staff who basically prepare documents every day of all the articles and op-eds that are praising him, and they feed those to him, and it makes him feel good. Well, that feeds into the intelligence side, if you think about it, because, I mean, Al Gore nailed it when he called his project an inconvenient truth. Intelligence is full of inconvenient truths. I mean, we would love to have intelligence to tell any president, look, North Korea has decided to unilaterally disarm and get rid of nuclear weapons, And they want to become a capitalist country and open up their country to investment and hold elections tomorrow. Any president would love to get that. Any president would love to get stories about how every country in the world wants to kick out hostile powers and bring in the United States and work with us. But that's not the world. The intelligence is full of inconvenient truths. Some people deal with that better than others. The presidents who did generally well in foreign policy, and I'll think here of people like George H.W. Bush, they devoured the intelligence. And even when it was bad news for their policy, they sometimes doubled down on it and asked for more so that they could then figure out what's the next best policy. Whether you agree with their policies or not, they actually used intelligence to inform their policy. Now, Trump, it's unclear. We really don't know if he is internalizing any of the intelligence that he does get in these briefings. Maybe He's getting one takeaway from each one, and it does help him think forward. Great. That would be, I think, a high mark for intelligence in this administration. I suspect that more likely the intelligence officers are doing their job. They're presenting objective analysis to him, knowing that a lot of it isn't going to sink in. And they're spending a lot of their efforts making sure they brief the national security advisor and other customers who take the intelligence more seriously and appear to incorporate it in their decisions. That's speculation. But that would be the kind of thing intelligence officers would do if the president himself is not giving it the attention that others have, is you find other customers who are. And there always are people in the executive branch who want to do a good job. Yeah, it also probably adds to the difficulty that he really just doesn't like the intelligence community. Um, And I don't know if that's because he legitimately believes that they wiretapped him or effed him over or because they exposed some things he didn't want them to expose. But he genuinely, and it's obvious to me, it's obvious in, in the way that he speaks about the intelligence community. He just really doesn't like the intelligence community. I, I don't know what the, you know, hey, how about the intelligence community briefs Hope Hicks and then you send Hope Hicks in to give him the news. I, I There is a parallel here, which is with Richard Nixon back in 1960. Richard Nixon had lost an election, very close election, to John F. Kennedy, and he thought that the CIA was behind it because he was paranoid, number one. There's no evidence to support this, but he thought the CIA was secretly giving Kennedy information under the table so that Kennedy could make political points on things like the Eisenhower-Nixon administration not having done enough to save Cuba and, and other issues, the missile gap with the Soviet Union. None of that proved to be correct, but Nixon believed it. Therefore, when he was finally elected president in 1968, he essentially shut the CIA out. He didn't even look at the copies of the president's daily brief that were provided to him during the transition when he was president-elect. 
When he was president, there's no definitive evidence either way, but the balance of evidence suggests that Nixon rarely read the PDB if he looked at it at all. But what happened? The CIA found a way to get information to him because they knew that Nixon and his national security advisor, Henry Kissinger, were joined at the hip. They spent hours every day talking, strategizing together. So they briefed the hell out of Kissinger. They made sure Kissinger looked at the PDB, even giving it to him the night before they gave it to Nixon so that intelligence information would get there. They started briefing relationships with other senior customers that didn't have daily briefers before that. Did it work perfectly? Probably not. I think it would have been better if Nixon had more objective input, but it worked pretty well. I think that's a parallel for now is Trump had a similar attitude coming in during the campaign and transition, saying some nasty things about the intelligence community. And there's a relationship there that seems to be holding. And I'm betting it's because the intelligence community has found the people who actually do listen and want to hear the intelligence. The odd thing is with his briefing schedule, that is often two to three times a week irregularly, Trump is closest to the president he seems to hate the most, which is his predecessor, Barack Obama. Obama tended to have irregular intel briefings a couple of times a week, and people criticized him for it. At one point, I think three years into his presidency, there was a report that the president had only been attending his intelligence briefings about 40% of the time, and it was basically trying to make the point that Barack Obama was um, derelict in his duty. The people who wrote it, however trying to come at it from a right-wing perspective, forgot the fact that Ronald Reagan never had briefings from an intelligence briefer. He always had his national security advisor brief him after reading the PDB. Now, Reagan also read the PDB, and frankly, so did Obama very carefully every day, regardless of whether he got a briefing. That's the key difference with Trump. It's okay to get just occasional briefings if you're still getting the intelligence you need on a daily basis to do the job. If this reporting is true... He's not getting that information on a daily basis the same way that any other president has. And we'd better hope that Robert O'Brien, the current national security advisor, is more effective at working with him than some of the past national security advisors were. Yeah, I, I, I shudder to think, uh, flipping through names in my head, who it is that's getting the, the if the, if that's the case, who it is that's getting the briefing. Maybe it's Kevin McCarthy. Maybe that's why he was crying. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't <laughs> Mark know. Meadows. Oh, sorry, Mark Meadows. Why did I think it was Kevin McCarthy? Yeah, well, you know, at a certain point, it all it all blends in. Maybe one takes money from Russians, the other takes money from Russia. I don't know. Yeah, the, 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 real, the real issue here is being president is hard. Being president is a lot harder when you don't take advantage of the billions upon billions of dollars of intelligence and national security infrastructure that's been built up to help you do that difficult job. And Trump, by all, by all measures, appears to be disdaining that instead of appreciating it and trying to be better with it. Again, we don't know what happens. There may be some briefings where the intelligence in the president's daily brief gives some insight into North Korea or China or Iran, and it does help move a decision forward. That's fine. The Soleimani assassination comes to mind. There must have been some, in, some really incredible intelligence work behind that action. But when those seem to happen almost by accident rather than routinely, you wonder if something's broken in the process. And the president has set up a process around him that doesn't appear to be getting him the best information when he needs it, or 
the president has the process in place, but doesn't use it. Either way, it's suboptimal. Well, I hope we do get a 9-11 style commission. And, and, and personally, for me, it's not about going after Trump or blaming anyone. Uh, you know, like you were saying, that's not that's not the point of it. I, I would be fine with a completely non-criminal, non-finger pointing, non-blaming uh, investigation into what happened so we can prevent it again. And I think those PDBs will probably come out in the mix there. But, you know, we do have the Washington Post reporting uh, that says there were at least a dozen that mentioned it back in January and February. Um, and again, I'm fine with not a finger pointing commission on this. Uh, there's plenty of other crimes we can get them on, you know? <laughs> we, well, that's it. I mean, it's a, it's what do you call it, a target rich environment when it comes to ways of <laughs> criticizing this president. In in this case, we as a society need to learn a lot about this. And yes, there's plenty of blame at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but we need to learn what the rest of us and the rest of the government could do better, too, because this will happen again at some point, And we really want to learn the lessons from this time. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining me today. I, I really wanted to get a little overview of the PDB. And uh, you, you're the first name that popped into my head. Awesome. Good to talk to you again. Yeah. Can you tell everybody where they can find you? Um, right now, they can find me at my house because it's <laughs> the only place I am. Um, but I'm online. I'm the, the chief operating officer at the Lawfare Institute. So lawfareblog.com has a lot of our analysis and insight on national security and rule of law issues. And then you can find my books, uh, The President's Book of Secrets, and the second one, How to Get Rid of a President, Anywhere Fine Books Are Sold. <laughs> so prescient. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this segment of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ritual. Now more than ever, I'm trying to focus on nutrition, health, and keeping my immune system strong. That's why I want to share with you Ritual, the obsessively researched vitamin for women. Ritual's essentials have the nutrients most of us don't get enough from, of from food, and they're all in their clean, absorbable form, so there's no shady additives or ingredients that can do more harm than good. Too easy to take capsules, provide nine nutrients you need to support a strong foundation for your health. I started taking Ritual a while back, and I absolutely am in love with it. I feel more energy, more clarity. Mentally, I feel good knowing I'm filling in all the gaps in my diet by getting the vitamins my body actually needs. I'm finally taking vitamins daily, and I love my daily ritual. It goes with daily beans. Ha ha ha. And Ritual Essential for Women is the ultimate multivitamin to help fill the gaps in your diet. From D3s to omega-3s. And they have no nausea capsules, so they you can take them on an empty stomach. And there's a mini, like, tiny little tab of mint in every bottle, fresh mint, to keep it fresh so you don't get that fishy taste. Ritual uses vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free ingredients. And Ritual is delivered directly to you, and a subscription is easy to start, and it's easy to snooze, and it's only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs. It's delivered every month, no strings attached. Better health doesn't happen overnight. Right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off your first order. No, 10% off your first three months. So fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit Ritual.com slash Daily Beans to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at Ritual.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And joining us today for the good news block is uh, my friend, your friend, everyone's friend, Amanda Reeder. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm feeling good. It's a... Uh... It's a good week at Casa de Reader. Uh, you know, it's up and down, but feeling good today. I repotted a basil plant. Very exciting. <laughs> in real life or on Animal Crossing? <laughs> in real 
in real life. <laughs> oh, God. Animal Crossing. I'm obsessed. One of my favorite villagers told me today that she was thinking about leaving, and I was, like, genuinely upset and Googling ways to try to make her stay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just keep talking to her, basically. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Just keep I, talking. I was, I was hurt. Yeah. I've had that happen. Um, but, uh, you know. I haven't lost anyone yet. I just keep talking to them and eventually they're like, fine, fuck, I'll stay. I know, man. I was offended. I was like, I'm so good to you. I bring you presents all the time. I plant flowers outside your house. What do you want from me? I know, right? Like, I've only seen you watering my shit like once. Exactly. Ungrateful villagers. Yeah, you can't please all the people all the time. (laughs) Or the purple koalas, in in my case. Ah, ah, oh, yours is purple. I've got an Italian koala. Not sure why. Um... But uh, he's there. Uh, he's very, very popular. He thinks the paparazzi are always following him around. He's an interesting character. <laughs> All right. Well, we do have some good news today. I've got one piece of good news. I just wanted to say congratulations to David Farenthold for winning the Journalism Nobel Prize, also known as the Pulitzer. <laughs> uh, he, he's... He's best known for breaking the Access Hollywood tape uh, and also uh, covering the story about Trump. Remember when Trump refused to be in the debates and said he was going to have a fundraiser for veterans instead and then found out he, he actually never gave that money to, uh, to the group. And that launched an investigation by Tish James, the New York attorney general, who then eventually found that they, uh, you know, that causing the Trump charity, the Trump Foundation, to have to shutter its doors, finding that... They were using charitable donations to pay his lawsuit settlements and to fund his campaign and to buy giant photos of himself, but like huge paintings of himself. So they were forced to shutter their their foundation. And now uh, they are barred. The Trump and his Trump and his family, all the Trump kids, the, the adult crotch fruit are banned from from operating a charity in New York for, I think, a decade because of the work of Farenthold. So congratulations. This was a couple couple weeks ago, but it flew under my radar. I was it popped up today in my feed. And I was like, I just wanted to say congratulations on your journalism noble. How? Yeah. And it all started with the grab by the coochie video. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's been reporting for a long time, but but that that was the the, it was the Coochie Access Hollywood tape that uh, I think put put him on the map. Hell yeah. Well, congratulations, dude. And uh, what what sort of good news now do we have from our listeners? I do have a couple of things. Um, this is from Sean uh, in Chico, California. He says, my local CSA that was relying on restaurants to survive has seen a doubling of the number of their residential customers. Uh, they've gone from 75 customers in a normal year to now 150. Everyone in my town has really come out to support small local businesses. They are even having to team up with other farms to fulfill all the orders. That's great. Um, I know. And I've seen similar stuff happening here in San Diego because we've been getting um, some produce delivered from different farms. And I was trying to decide in a CSA, but a whole bunch of them were totally sold out. And I was like, that's rad. So people are, it seems like there's been like this sudden intense shift towards people trying to get, um, you know, like local food um, that seems to be happening with the pandemic. So I love that. Yeah, I hope that stays after too. And can you real quick explain explain what a CSA is? Yeah, so basically uh, it's, it's cutting out the middleman of like a big chain grocery store and getting um, local seasonal food directly from um, directly from regional farms. And it's what does it stand for? Do you know? Uh, commun- let's see. I, I can't remember. Community. Uh, I'm Googling it. Because I, 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 I've never known. And I Community-supported agriculture. agriculture. Community-supported agriculture, yeah. 
community supported agriculture. Yeah, that's like that whole just farm to table thing, cutting out the middleman. Awesome. I totally blanked on that acronym. All right. I didn't know either. I didn't know either. So I was like, let's look at yeah, that. Yeah, right. Up. I hear it all the time. And I'm like, what? And I, it's like I knew, but I forgot. But yeah, so community supported agriculture. Um, it's that's that's rad. Um, cool. From Karen. Uh, Karen says, good news for our new rescue dog. A dog groomer in our neighborhood is now offering curbside drop off and pick up during the shutdown. Um, now that our dog looks awesome, we can only hope that she won't be embarrassed to be seen with her shaggy haired, ugly humans. when we walk her around the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there a curbside pickup and drop off for people? <laughs> you know, what's funny. I didn't include any of them in, uh, in today's confessions, but maybe I'll include more tomorrow. We're getting a lot of confessions on, um, like hiding and stealing food. But the other thing we're getting a lot of now is people being like, I shaved my son's or my, my husband's or my boyfriend's head and he has a big bald spot. Like yeah. we're getting a lot of at home haircut, <laughs> uh, confession. Yeah, we definitely are. I really need a haircut, uh, and I'm, but I'm terrified. Joelle's hair is getting so long. It's getting like sister wife long. <laughs> sister wife long. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like. She's going to have to start wearing it uh, in a... And the reason I say that is because we're going to do a rewatch of Big Love, which is a crazy yeah. show. It's such a good show. I was just thinking that it's like Chloe Sevigny long, like... Uh... <laughs> exactly. Getting long. Um, yeah. And so it's, mine's not that long, but it is starting to get wily. So I'm excited when I can get a haircut again. Um, all right. From Nina. Nina says, I've been making cloth masks for friends and family. A couple local businesses got word and asked to pay for some large orders of the masks. Dude, that's, first of all, if your bats are so good that businesses want to order them from you and you're making them from home, then you are a good mask maker. Um, I asked them instead to donate the value of the mask they wanted to buy to local food banks. Uh, my husband and I still have jobs and we are so thankful. That is so great. Wow. Thank you. That, thank you for, yeah, thanks for doing that. That's amazing. I know, right? Um, from Kelly, uh, good news. I am the assistant director of nursing for a nursing home in New Mexico. Governor Grisham has ordered COVID-19 testing for all patients and staff of nursing homes and providing test kits. All my patients are in the clear, as is most of my staff, just waiting on the last five tests. That is fucking awesome. And I know how hard nursing homes are being hit, so that must be a huge relief. Yeah, and it's good to hear that, the, you know, that, that and, and I think Maddo went over this. She's like, look, here's a problem. It's a known problem. We can actually, fit, like, attack this problem by testing everyone in nursing homes and making that a focal point. It's something that, it's a tangible problem we can fix, uh, like, at a smaller level as opposed to just, you know, test everybody all the time, which is going to take a lot of coordination with the federal government. So it's really, I'm, I'm glad to see Governor Grisham doing that. Yeah, we should absolutely be tackling testing and nursing homes at the state level for sure. So I love that. Um, this is from Miss B. Miss B said, the Sacred Heart Food Pantry in Haverhill, Massachusetts, put out a plea to their community for, for donations of any kind because they were desperately low in supplies. Members of our community immediately started donating their $1,200 stimulus checks to the pantry if they didn't need them. And they now have what they need to help out the community. Awesome. So, fuck yeah. All right. That's all the good news. Uh, we have a couple confessions. All right. It is time for Quarantine Confessions. Um, yeah, these confessions are really keeping me going. I fucking love them. Uh, this is from, <laughs> from Ursula. Uh, she said, I loved your good news block yesterday, particularly... 
knowing that other people are naming the outside animals in their yard. <laughs> because there's a guy yesterday who was a had a a BoJack Horseman esque uh, scream screenplay he was writing. <laughs> she said, "My husband has started to also do this, and I was getting worried. Good to know that it's a common pandemic practice." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, this is from Kate. Kate says, during this quarantine, my Botox has fully worn off and I'm real, <laughs> and I'm realizing that it has hidden my bitchy, my, my bitchy resting face for years because everyone keeps saying you mad bro to me. Apparently. Yes. I'm always mad. I just can't hide it anymore. <laughs> I was actually having a, a Botox moment in my, uh, local, uh, grocery store. Uh, there's a little mom and pop. Uh, grocery store d- down in the corner and, and whenever I run out of food or supplies I, I head down there and I'm wearing my mask and I have Botox it is it is at the end though of the three to four months that it lasts but it w- you know a couple weeks ago it was still it's still in play and it occurred to me that you know while I had my mask on and was interacting and speaking with other people I had no, the, the part of my face you could see had zero facial expression, right? So so I'm like, they can't tell if I'm mad or surprised or happy. Like I can't smize like Tyra Banks taught us on America's Next Top Model because my entire upper half of my face, including I also get the little tiny ones under my eyes so I don't squint and, and make crow's feet. Uh, I'm like, you have no idea what I'm thinking or feeling right now. And that's pretty insane. So I, I'm with you uh, on that. And we're just gonna have to go without. Oh, <laughs> uh, God, like, do you feel it as it starts to like fade? Like, do you feel the muscles in your face relaxing? Is that a thing? Uh, when it starts to when the Botox starts to be metabolized, you can feel your control of your facial muscles coming back. Uh, and you can still feel which ones haven't come qu- back quite yet. And when you get Botox, the f- at least for me, the first day I'm like, I feel kind of woozy and tired, like my face is tired. And then as it starts to take effect, you can feel your muscles deadening and they, you aren't able to move them. And I know that um, a good friend of mine actually gets um, medical Botox for her migraines. And I was thinking about getting it for clenching my jaw because I, I apparently I've been grinding my teeth, uh, at night. I, I keep waking up with like super sore teeth. Like what, what's that about? And, um, and you can feel it too. You can just feel the muscles let go. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Hmm. Kind of like the, uh, the opposite of what happens after you get a, uh, an anesthesia injection when you're going to the dentist. <laughs> Yeah, the opposite effect. Yeah. One time when I was younger, um, I had some dental work done, and then I went out for lunch with my, my mom afterwards, and I, my face was all like frozen and fucked up, and I was like insisting on going out to lunch because I was super hungry, and she was like, "I don't know if you can handle that right now," and I was like, "No, mom, I'm fucking starving." And we walked out with my shirt was basically a bib. Yeah, yeah. I just like fully lost control. I spewed root beer all down the front of me. I dribbled constantly. Um. Anyway, uh, moving on. <laughs> Um, all right. We're getting a lot of beauty ones this week, which I'm really enjoying. Um, from Lisa, week six of COVID isolation. I have so far missed two hair appointments, two brow and eyelash sculpt and tint sessions, three visits to the dermatologist, a dermatologist, a waxing appointment, and several nail appointments. I have hidden my husband's glasses. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, I live alone. So, yeah, the fingernails are gone. Actually, 
kind of a benefit though because I got to play guitar over the weekend for our meet and greet. Fingernails gone. I'd been growing them out for months, and I'm a I'm a chronic nail biter, so I was so proud of my nails being long. And and uh, once the once the gel or the dip comes off, they they're such they're so thin and crappy, they just start breaking off. So I was like, fuck it, they're all coming off. So now they're all short again. Um, fortunately, I had already decided to grow my grays out, so the hair is not doing anything. I I wasn't suspecting, but yeah, Botox is gone. No more waxing. Um, no, yeah, we are uh, going au naturel up in here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this next one was I had to include it just because I couldn't <laughs> believe someone said this to us. Um, I do not condone any of what I'm about to say. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> from Marissa, my roommate called me fat and then got hit barely in parentheses by a car while out on her bike. She's fine. And apologies to anyone who has been injured or worse by a car while on a bike. Important to note, it was not my car that hit her. Who says quarantine is boring? (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, I'm just going to pretend those two things aren't related at all. And I know it's, (laughs) I had to include that. I was like, oh shit. Uh, You know what? It's okay that you're enjoying this because you're, you're doing so anonymously. <laughs> mm. Just kidding. It's not funny when people get hurt. Um, True. But we do thank you for your confessions. Um, and also, speaking of uh, you playing guitar for people uh, on the live streams, if you're a patron, uh, I put out a post that links to all of the live streams that we've done so far, all five of them. If you want to watch the replays, if you want to feel like you're hanging out with us and you happen to miss them, and I also would love if you would vote on the poll that I posted a few days ago about which day is better for you for the uh, happy hour live streams. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember what I suggested would be this week's theme. Um, and nobody's added me with that either. Um, so I think we might just go with tiki or tropical. Tropical. And, and you can do that with either your clothing or your cocktail or your drink, whichever Whichever is, uh, however you decide to embody tiki culture or tropical culture. That is, I think, what we're going to do. Fuck yeah. I love that. I love that. I'm going to make a, maybe I'll make a, a, maybe I'll make a Mai Tai or something. Yeah. Life's a beach is the thing. Because we shouldn't, even if, even if your governor opened up beaches, we shouldn't be going to them. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, it's some of the beaches were so packed. I mean, I, I saw I saw San Diego featured in the national news the other night because so, so many people were flooding to our beaches when they reopened them for surfing. Yeah. 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 Mixed feelings on that. My local park just reopened and I was walking by it as I walked the dog and there were so many groups of people not wearing masks and there are so many people sitting like people I knew who didn't live together who were sitting really close together. And I was like, y'all. I don't think that you should be doing that. <laughs> oh, but it's in the park, so it's okay because the park is open. It, it, like they, they, mm, Science is real. Okay. <laughs> oh, we have one more confession, actually, that just came in. Oh, let's, let's see. Uh, um, a Twitter, an anonymous Twitter user, user says, My clean laundry has become the new cat bed, and I am still wearing those clothes to work because I am working remotely. No one notices or cares about the cat hair. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah, I stopped folding and putting my laundry away since 99% of my laundry consists of athleisure wear and boy shorts and tank tops and 
soft bralettes and things. Uh, so I just wash it all, and I've got one of those two-sided hampers, right? That what it's supposed to be, so you can separate the lights from the darks. But I use it as a clean and a dirty. So my, <laughs> I just gr- grab out of the clean put on and then when it's dirty I put it in the other side and once it's all over on the other side it's like the it's like the magician refilling his suitcase full of tricks <laughs> That's... I ordered some day jammies recently Ooh, what are day jammies well just regular jammies but just nice ones that I'm gonna wear during the day because <laughs> I'm home so much and I'm like Oh, like, you know, I, I, I'm realizing that I, I'm wanting to wear my most comfortable clothing all the time, which are often like ratty old jammies. And I'm like, I would like to feel luxurious. Yeah. So I'm ordering some day jammies. Yep. Day jammies and night jammies. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for sending in your confessions and your good news stories. We really appreciate it. We'll keep asking for those. And uh, thanks for joining me today, Amanda. It was good to hear your voice. It's been it's been a while. Yeah, if you, uh, yeah, I haven't been on the main show in a while, but if our patrons have have seen me on the on the live stream, so um, yeah, thank you for having me join for the good news block today. I I'm, I put it together every day, so so trust me, I'm I'm laughing every day, <laughs> laughing with you uh, or at you. It depends on the confession. Um, well, thank you again, and everybody, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Amanda Reader. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>